Nehemiah chapter 6, the one thing that I love about preaching through books of the Bible is you allow the spirit of the living God to just bring up the themes that come out. It's not like I have to come up with something. It's just you go to the scripture, you read the scripture, and the themes jump out and come together. I mean, if I was to sit there and look at Nehemiah chapters 4, 5, and 6 specifically, I would say, wow, that's kind of redundant. There's opposition, and it's coming in a lot of different places. The beauty of going through a book of the Bible is that sometimes if we didn't do that, we would just skip over maybe one of those chapters. And I think it's important in God's sovereign plan that specifically we've been here in four, five, and six over the last three weeks learning about opposition and specifically distractions because Satan desires to get us off task. And it's important for us to recognize the schemes that he uses in order to mobilize us to do the greatest work that we've ever been a part of. And that is the mission of God. And so if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we did Nehemiah chapter 4, and the opposition was coming from the outside. They mocked them. They made fun of them. You're going to rebuild that temple? Let me just tell you, when that wall gets built, a fox will run on it, and the wall will tumble. And we learned that it said in Nehemiah chapter 4 that the people had a mind to work. They were resolved, they were persistent, and they continued. Then last week, what we learned is we learned that that sometimes the opposition to the work of God happens when the people of God get distracted and the opposition comes from the inside. And so we gotta be really, really careful, really careful when we take a look at where the opposition comes from. Today, in chapter six, we learn very clearly that the opposition is coming at Nehemiah himself as an individual. So it came from the outside in four, it came from the inside in five, and now it comes to Nehemiah himself. And it's incredibly unique in how he stood up and was persistent and resolved in his walk with King God. And so as we take a look and we have the full story, we serve God because of a relationship with King Jesus. We look at Nehemiah and we see that he's an ordinary guy. We learn that he's a man of integrity, he's humble, he's faithful, he's passionate, he's a leader and He knows the word of God, and he knows that God is good. And his purpose, Nehemiah's purpose, is to help you and I encounter God in a radical way. He's an ordinary guy doing extraordinary things, not because of his gift set, but because of the God that's in him. And the same God that is in him is the same God that is in us. So you could say that we could be about the great work of God like Nehemiah was. What is it? that holds us back at times. So here we come to Nehemiah chapter six and we know that the wall is almost done. It's almost completed. The gates have not been fastened yet and that's where we find out in verse one. We'll read that in just a minute. And so the gates have not yet been finished and here it comes, another effort to distract the man of God from the work of God and here is Nehemiah's memoir, his diary, his account of what took place. Let's jump in to verse One, starting in in verse one of Nehemiah six, here we go. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah, they're still at it, okay? And Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time, I had not set up the doors in the gates. The finish line is in sight. The wall is done. The gates are the last part. We're about 98% finished here. Verse two, Sanballat and Geshem, sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Haki Purnam. 
No idea if that's right. In the plain of Ono. So here's what's going on. Sanballat and the company invited Nehemiah to a meeting, and the meeting was in Ono. Now listen, Ono is basically the Disney World of the day without strollers. Because we know that Disney World with strollers is not a vacation, it's a trip. Are you with me? You're with me, okay? And so this is really the resort center of the time. And so he gets invited to this place called Ono, which is an incredible resort. Everybody knew this. And so he was invited to go down there. It had fertile trees and water. And it was a beautiful place. It would basically be like an all-inclusive vacation, travel included. It was posh. In their minds, they're wondering, how in the world could anybody say no to this? Nobody would say no to this. And then all of a sudden, Nehemiah records the next couple of words. Here it is. He says, but they intended to do me harm. And I got to tell you something right now that that statement right there challenged my walk with God this week like never before. Because there are many opportunities that come your way and come my way. And Nehemiah was walking so closely with God, he recognized this was not of God. No matter how good it looked, it was not of God. So how did he know this? He knew it because of a deep walk with God. And we must realize that sometimes because a door is open does not always mean that it's a door that has been opened by God. We must recognize and realize that. And the way that we do that is when we eat and feast on God's word and we spend time in his presence. Then we're able to sit there and say, they're going to do me harm. That's not of him. Nehemiah understands and he sees that their genuine invitation is not a genuine invitation. And this right now is our big idea. We'll get to it at the end. But this is, there's one point of the message and it's verse three. And I hope you remember this. So they came to him and he says, and I sent messengers to them saying, this is what Nehemiah sent back to him. He says, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you. Like I said, we all have opportunities. And here is Nehemiah being invited to this beautiful resort area of Ono. Maybe it was for peace. Maybe it was to talk. Whatever the case might be. He recognized because he was walking with God. He knew the word that that's not where I'm going to go down there. Because you're going to try to kill me. And he looks at him and he says, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. Verse 4. And they sent to me four times in this way. And here's what it says. And I answered them the same way. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Because he is resolved in his spirit to know this is what I'm here to do. This is what I'm all about. I am am fixed on this. And I recognize that what you're asking me to do is not of God. Because I know God. So what a great lesson in resolve that kept coming and that kept coming and that kept coming. You know, this is like parenting right now. And all of us have failed miserably at this. They keep coming and they keep coming and they keep asking and they keep asking. And next thing we know, we have given them the car keys and they're 13 and the deed to the house. We're just like, I give up. Well, Nehemiah is not wore down by their requests. He gets even more resolved, more confident, and knowing you have no idea what I, who I serve. You have no idea who I'm trying to please. 
I am trying to please him and only him and no one else. You will not get me off of my game. Verse 5, in the same way, (laughs) Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. So we have to recognize what it is about an open letter and what that means. In those days, what you would do is you would write a letter down and you would wrap it up with a a piece of leather string. You would take it, you would seal it with clay and you would deliver the letter to be a message for a group of people. Senvalet, what he's trying to do is trying to discredit Nehemiah and cause gossip to happen about Nehemiah. So what he does is he takes the letter, but he does not seal the letter. He does not tie the letter. It's open. So as it travels from where it is written to where it is delivered, people are able to see it, and they hear some things about Nehemiah. So he wrote the letter purposefully and purposely failed to seal it so that rumors would be started up about Nehemiah. Let's look at what the letter declared about Nehemiah, starting in verse 6. In it was written... It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says, says it, that you and the Jews re- intend to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now come, let us take counsel together. So he's saying, listen, this is what's happening right now. You're trying to rebel. You're going to usurp the king's authority. If King Artaxerxes had found out what was going on, Nehemiah would not be trying out a cup as the cupbearer. He would be trying out a rope for his neck. You clear on that? Artaxerxes would take his life, would take Nehemiah's life. One author said, any any sentence that starts with have you heard, is sure to get the full attention of the listener. This is what's going on right now. There's all kinds of rumors that were being started about Nehemiah. Verse eight, let's go to verse eight. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. Verse nine, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from work and it will not be done. Here he comes. Look at it. Look at his relationship with the Lord. May it challenge you. Here's what he says. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. What I love about this is what Nehemiah did. He got attacked personally. He didn't like the king. So he went to Facebook and he posted about how stupid people are and about how, and, and no, he didn't do that. No, he, he didn't. He didn't do that. What he did was he went back and he prayed to God. And he said, oh God, they're coming at me again. I am not gonna stop this. Their persistence has been five times, but what I'm going to do is I'm gonna be resolved and to keep going. But here's what I need, you, here's what I need, God. Here's what I need personally is I need you to strengthen my hands to allow me to continue to do what you have sovereignly put me here to do. So God strengthened me. He continues to run to God for his strength, which is absolutely so beautiful. The accusations 
we have to ask, do you think the accusations hurt Nehemiah? Uh, of course they hurt. He's real. He is normal. He's human. He's human. So the ac accusations hurt. And then let's continue on and see the next way that they try to come at Nehemiah because the individual attack is still happening and still coming. Verse 10, here it says, Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. So Nehemiah is invited for him to come. Now, now here's the interesting part. Nehemiah understands the way of God and understands that he is not invited or allowed to be in the temple. The translation misses it a little bit because this was presented as a prophecy from God. So it was presented to Nehemiah as, thus saith the Lord, you need to know that you need to go to the temple, you need to retreat to the temple because they're coming to kill you. And if you're thinking about it, you're like, oh, they're coming to kill me, I need to retreat. Nehemiah, knowing who God is because he knows the word, he walks with God, he recognizes, no, that's not what the scripture teaches. The high priests are only able to go into the temple, not someone like myself. So he recognizes this and he does not go. Let's see his response. Verse 11, but I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Samballot had hired him. It is beautiful the things that we can see when we consistently and passionately walk with King Jesus. It is beautiful that the things we can see. What the thought of what God can spare us from when we walk in such a way. May we do just that. Verse 14 says, Remember Tobiah and Samuel, and, oh my God, according to these things, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Why did he do that? Here's the deal. Nehemiah detests sin. Why am I not going into the temple? I'm not going into the temple because I hate sin. Going into the temple is a sin. I don't like sin. I hate sin. God has put in me a desire, a love, a love for the things of himself, not a love for sin. And so when sin is presented to him, no, I'm not going to do that. I am going to stand up against that. Verse 15. Here it is, here it is. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elo in 52 days. The wall is done. And when all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that the work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Because when the people of God serve God himself and do the mission of God, the world, that even though they don't believe or can't see, they will recognize something supernatural took place. May we live in such a way that the people in our city will see that can only be explained because of God. May we live in such a way. You sit here and think about it. For 90 years, the people of Judah, this temple had been decimated and destroyed. All of a sudden, they're looking at it and they're going, man, 
That limestone that they had was, was just all in pieces. They, they, they worked hard. It was 52 days. There was a lot of people that were working. Man, that, that's impressive. Those guys worked really hard. No, what they did is it says they perceived in their mind that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Don't ever forget that. So wait for it. The, the attacks, they keep coming. Verse 17, here it comes. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and his son, Jehoahan, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, his wife. And they spoke of his good deeds in my presence, and reported my words, and Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid." Here's what's going on. Tobiah has married into the line of the Jews. They have an allegiance because now he's a part of them. He intermarried, faith-wise. So the wall is built. The enemies recognize that God who built this, but their effort did not stop. And just like it doesn't stop today, and we keep going. Tobiah's got this, this voice, and it is unbelievable. Listen, we, we talked back in January about living life in the midst of two gardens. When we did our prayer service, we said over here we have the Garden of Eden where everything was right and it went wrong, okay? And then we have back in Revelation chapter 22 where everything is gonna be made right and restored and it's gonna be beautiful. Satan will be put in his place and there will be no sin, there will be no tears, and there will be no separation. We will be unified for and because of King Jesus. But we have this garden that's in the middle that is really messy, and we have to recognize, as Nehemiah recognized, that there's opposition that's coming from the outside. There's opposition coming from the inside. And there's opposition coming to you personally. And we must recognize, as it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, that it's, this is what we wrestle against. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present age, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, we must recognize that Satan will be defeated, as we have been saying for the last three weeks. But we must be prepared, like Nehemiah was prepared. And I have one point for you this morning. That's it, just one. The one point is very simple. And I'm saying this because I'm hoping it's your testimony. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. And I'm hoping that the God of the universe, through the power of his spirit, will allow you to completely say that without reservation and that your resolve will be like that of Nehemiah and most specifically King Jesus. I don't know of a more important lesson for us this morning than this one right now. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Nehemiah had a chance to go to the greatest resort of all time. It was an opportunity that was set before him. And you see the opportunities that you and I have all the time. We look at Nehemiah, and, and, and we must live in a way that will allow us to discern through these opportunities. There are opportunities of more money in a new job. There are opportunities in entertainment opportunities. There's athletic opportunities for our kids. There are financial opportunities. There are relational opportunities. There are religious opportunities and investment opportunities and business opportunities and vacation opportunities. And I could go on and I could go on and I could go on. The list is 
endless. And all of us in this room could say in a given work week, we could spend four to five nights a week outside of our home. We could say that. Nobody works 40 hours a week anymore. But what is being sacrificed when we work like that? Our families, our relationship with spouses, our relationship with friends. We have to be careful because what the enemy does is use good things to get us off of the great thing, and that's a bad thing. That's what the enemy does. Nehemiah had these opportunities come to him five different ways, as I said, and this is what he said. Just remember, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. May that be the, the testimony of our church. May that be the testimony of us as individuals. Here's a quote for you. The biggest human threat to God's work in the world is and always has been religious people who lack intimacy with God. The biggest human threat to God's work in the world is and always has been religious people who lack intimacy with God. May we not be that group of people. Nehemiah knew God, feared God, and loved God, and he wanted to please God more than anything. And we have to recognize that the significance of our calling rules out the, op the option of retreat. Let me say it for you again. The significance of our calling, of God's ambassadors, rules out the option of our retreat. Let it be that for us. And so I think one of the things that I was overwhelmed as I was studying and going through Nehemiah chapter 6 and all the lessons that we simply could learn is there is another who had the same relationship with God the Father, and it was God the Son. If you'll help me just walk through a little bit of what Jesus did for us as we get ready to enter into a time of coming to this beautiful table and being able to take the elements. See, Jesus is God in the flesh, and he lived 33 years. In the 33rd year of his life, I want to make a comparison between him and Nehemiah chapter 6. See, here's what Jesus was all about. He was about preaching and healing and freeing and rebuking and loving and transforming and forgiving. That's what Jesus was all about. In the 33rd year of his ministry, he knew that time was coming to a close and he had different situations where he would meet with different people to really, really highlight what was getting ready to happen. One specific one is in John 14 where we know the verse where it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. But before that verse... They're like, Jesus, where are you going? We want to go with you. And he says, I go and prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And what I'm telling you right now is that Jesus was not going to prepare heaven for the people. He was going to get the way to God prepared for the people, which is and was the cross. So when he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, what he's telling them and demonstrating to them is I simply am going to the cross. That's what's going to take place. We fast forward a little bit, and we know that Jesus was arrested. He was betrayed. He was arrested. He was mocked. He was spit on. He was made fun of. He told people that he was the king of the Jews. That made them mock him even louder and more profound. They took this crown of thorns in mockery and placed it on his head, as we know. They made him carry this tree all the way up this hill, and they put it down on the ground, put him on it, 
nailed him to that tree and hung it up. And as they were at the base of it, there were people that were making fun of him. A couple of things that were said is in Luke 23, verse 37 says, those mocking him said, if you are the king of the Jews, we want you to save yourself. If you are the king of the Jews, we want you to come down from where you are. We want you to save yourself. Not with words, but with actions. King Jesus says, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. And in the other gospels, it says, he declared it is finished and he gave up his spirit and breathed his last breath because he declared, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. That is what we are to be about Northwest for his glory and for our good. That's what we're to be about. I want to encourage you with one final thought this morning. In the Garden of Eden, which I talked about just a minute ago, Satan, in his distraction, Satan, in his trying to get Adam and Eve to do what they ended up doing, he asked them or invited them to eat something they were not supposed to. He said, surely if you take of that apple, you will not be as God said you would be. He basically said, if, if you eat of this apple, then man, you can be just like him. There was doubt and distraction that was given. And as we know the situation, Adam standing beside Eve, Eve reached out, took that apple, and she bit into it. And there, right there, was where death entered the world. And separation from God started. But here's what King Jesus did right before he did go to that cross and declare that it was finished and declare, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. He gathered the disciples together and he used the same words that Satan used and he said, I want you to take and I want you to eat and that's of myself. And I want you to remember for all time everything that I've ever done and will do and I simply don't want you to forget it. So as we come up to the table, we're being invited to do what? To take the bread that represents his body that was given to us. Remember, the bread was broken, but Jesus' body was not broken. Scripture's very clear that Jesus gave up his body. It says he breathed his last breath. Nobody took it from him, he gave it. And then we have the cup that is juice, and it represents something beautiful. It represents the new covenant that we can have. It represents that all sins can be forgiven. I don't care what you've done or how many times you've done it. You can be forgiven. That is what Jesus declared. That's what the juice declares. That's what he has said when he said he was on the cross and by his actions said, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. That's what he means. Your sins can be forgiven. Plain and simple. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, my prayer is that you would not leave here today without knowing that you can be forgiven for whatever in your life you have done. He is beautiful, he is great, and he can save. And there is nobody that can do what he can do. Nobody. And so when we see that and when we recognize that and when we get over religiosity and when we have a deep walk with King Jesus, then we're able to see through opportunities that might be around us that are there really to harm us and not help us. 
We're able to see through them. We're able to walk over them. We're able to persevere. We're able to discern what is of God and what is not of God. And then we're able to declare like Nehemiah and declare by action, Jesus, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. So in regards to you as a family man, I'm begging you men in this church that you would, in regards to your family, recognize and stand up and say, I'm doing a good work and I cannot come down. Let us not mess up in the responsibility that God has bestowed upon us, has equipped us to do, to be men in our homes, to lead courageously and passionately for his sake and our good. And mom, when, when you are overwhelmed, do they listen? Will they clean? Whatever the case might be, job, working at jobs and, and working at home and all of the things that go on, I just want you to know there is a testimony for you that you are doing a great work. So don't back down. I love you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you. Thank you for the gift that you have given us to be about this service and to be able to partake. I thank you for the privilege that that there is in taking of the bread and drinking the juice. Over the next two songs, I'm asking your spirit to move in us. I pray, God, that we would be able to say with absolute conviction that we are doing a good work and we cannot come down. May we be so, res- so um, persistent and committed to that statement, to you. And as a result of being committed to you, may that be our testimony. May we not get distracted. May our students be able to, to, to today declare with absolute power and conviction that they are doing a good work and they will not come down from compromising their morals, their principles that they have been given. God, strengthen them with your righteous right hand. I pray a blessing over every single one of our students and our kids and ask you to just do more than we could ask or imagine in their lives. Use them for your glory. Let us learn from Nehemiah, but let us Be like you, Jesus, because you deserve it. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray.